Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. Have you ever battled with emotional and binge eating and feel like you need food freedom? Well, join me today as I interview Jesse Jean, a certified mind-body eating coach on how to jumpstart your food freedom journey and find balance amongst all the overwhelming advice on food and eating and dieting. We talk about how to get out of all the bad diet advice and diet cycles of restrict, behave, stay the course, I'll start on Monday, which play havoc with our mental health. Let's tune in now. Jesse, it's so nice to have you back on my show again. We, it feels like you know, an old guest coming back. It feels like chatting to an old friend. You just recently interviewed me about my book. But most exciting, you've just had a baby two weeks ago. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be back. Oh, I'm sure. It's, it's wonderful having you back. And just being a new mom, do you feel totally different? You know, part of me does feel entirely different. And part of me feels totally the same. So... There's a lot of processing that's still happening, but it has been a pleasant surprise. I was one of those women who wasn't sure I wanted kids. And so I'm just so pleasantly surprised at how I've been feeling and how much joy that it's brought me. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. I was saying to you before we started recording that I was also one of those people into my career. Wasn't too sure about having kids. And my husband said, well, let's adopt one. And so I said, okay, one, we'll have one baby. And then that's it, you know, so I don't want, didn't really want to uh, sort of the, I only try to have a baby first. I had one and I enjoyed it so much. I had four and all the way through PhDs and all my, I remember finishing my PhD and I had my son a week before and literally, no, no, no I was typing my abstract and my waters broke and I literally like went in and handed in my PhD with my new baby. So yeah, you can do it. It's fine. That's amazing. I love that. That is amazing. But congrats again. And, and I wanted to start by just, just give my listeners a brief reminder of who you are and what you do, but I'd love to dive into just the whole body image around pregnancy and that kind of thing. But let's start with who you are first. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think one of the reasons that I haven't, I was so apprehensive about having children was because my career is all about serving and I work with women from all over the world on their journey to heal their relationship with food, specifically heal binge eating, emotional eating, body image challenges. And that's such fulfilling work for me. And so I think, you know, the decision to have kids was, you know, I, I just feel so fulfilled in my career and what I get to do. And it feels so purposeful and so meaningful to see the individuals that I work with find freedom, find food freedom, find healing from these very, very dark struggles, very challenging situations in their life. And so I knew that I didn't want to step away from that if I decided to pursue becoming a new mom. Unfortunately, I don't have to. I'm two weeks postpartum. I get to connect with you. We get to talk about these things. But that's what I do. I'm also the host of the Dear Body podcast. I've been doing that for a number of years. We have millions of downloads. I've gotten the opportunity to inspire millions across the world with this message of, hey, you really can have it all. You can feel good in your own skin. You can have an easy, effortless, normal, intuitive relationship with food. You don't have to be a slave to the scale or macro tracking or calorie tracking. There is a way out of what I refer to as this mental hellhole that so many get trapped in when it comes to their relationship with food and body image. And so that's what I do. And then I, you know, I get the opportunity to work online. So I get to connect with women and individuals from all over the world and do so through my online programs that help individuals find their freedom with food and body image. So 
that's what I do. And now I'm I'm very proud to be a new mom. Like I said, it's brought me so much joy. So I'm going to start including that in my title as well, because I've never felt more proud of something I've done in my entire life. So. Oh, that's so lovely. I really, I love that. Well, you've had your, you've spent about six years now inspiring millions of people around the world, which is really amazing. And as you said, to conquer binge eating, emotional eating, I want to stress that because I want you to tell your story as well. Just, I know our listeners heard it before, but you've got a little bit of a background story. And also you're a certified coach to the Institute of Psychology of Eating. You've dedicated your life to helping and you've freed so many people because that really is, it's such a chain to be so worried about eating. I was interviewing an actress, Jamila Jamil, recently, and it made me think of you when I was introducing, interviewing her because she's very much into also helping people get free in their mind. She said that she was on the red carpet the one time and she had done the whole starving thing for years. And she was standing on the red carpet and in this dress, like looking stunning, as skinny as anything, looking what she felt was stunning, everyone complimenting her. And she said she lasted like 30 minutes or 40 minutes and she had to go home. She was so weak. She couldn't act from not eating and from being so chained. And she, that was a pivotal moment in her life. And it, you know, that's, that, that's what happens that, that to be chained to that, that, that terrible, drive and you've helped you've got a great story as well do you mind just also sharing your back-end story very quickly and I'd love to share that again yeah absolutely so I was yeah I was drowning for over 10 years in a dysfunctional relationship with food in my body and I tried so many different things to to navigate my way out of that but when I was struggling I didn't even have the terminology. I didn't know there was resources out there. I didn't know what I was dealing with was binge eating and emotional overeating. I just knew I felt crazy with food that I would go in these cycles of restricting myself and starving myself. And then the pendulum would swing to the other end of the spectrum and I would start binge eating. And again, I didn't know the terms to put to it, but I would start eating in secret and I would hide and I would, you know, hide wrappers at the bottom of the trash can. I would you know, do all of these really strange things. And I I just knew I felt a lot of shame. I felt a lot of guilt. And I was dealing with a lot of weight cycling where I would lose weight and gain weight and lose weight and gain weight. And it was just absolutely exhausting. And this continued for many, many years. Over a decade of my life, I was doing this. I was strapped to the all or nothing roller coaster. And I remember thinking that, you know, pursuing fitness and making a career in fitness was going to be kind of my way out. And so that's what I did for many years. And it was just another mask to allow my eating disorder and disordered relationship with food in my body to thrive. And I had a similar experience as this actress you're talking about. When I stepped on stage, when I was competing in bikini competitions, I was so emaciated. I was so emaciated that I could hardly stand. I was backstage holding onto the wall, getting ready to walk out on stage. And I, I, I didn't have the energy. I was, you know, and People were complimenting me on how good I looked, and yet I was more unhealthy than I'd ever been in my entire life. My hair was falling out. I had no sex drive. I was foggy. I was dealing with insomnia. My skin was constantly breaking out, and I was just neurotic with food, and that's no way to live. And you know, it is such a full circle moment for me now becoming a mom because one of my big, one of the things that prompted me to take action and just refuse to give up seeking answers to heal these challenges was when I was a freshman in college, I had this thought and I thought, you know what? If I don't lean in and do the work to figure out whatever the hell it was I was dealing with, and I didn't know at the time, but if I don't lean in and try and figure this out, I'm either going to pass this on to my future children or I'm going to create a dysfunctional environment because I knew what that was like growing up in one. And so 
the motivation I had to seek answers really came from a desire to be a mom one day. And now, you know, so many years later to be here, it's just, it feels so cool that now postpartum, my body's entirely different. It's squishy. Things are different. The girls are, they're large and they're not perky like they used to be. And it's just, you know, I'm like, it, but it, it it's not... It doesn't overtake me. It doesn't send me into these spiraling thoughts. I'm not afraid at the fact that I'm ravenously hungry because I'm breastfeeding. I trust my body. I'm in tune with her. And I have so much peace despite my body being ever-changing. And I'm so glad that I took the time so many years ago to pursue healing, even when I didn't know it was actually possible, but it is. Oh, what a great, what a great start to this interview because that's just how many women are battling with that and go through that issue of terrified to even fall pregnant because of the changes in one's body and then dealing with the after, change, the changes in your body afterwards. And as you say, you've got to make peace with that. But your work, you, your healing work that happened before, there's possibly some women listening to this that are, haven't done the healing work and they may be pregnant or postpartum as well. So I think it's so encouraging that you're able to talk about this. In fact, you actually have a course, the, your current project, Hungry for Recovery, 23-day mini course designed to help those who are stuck in overwhelm, overthinking and analysis paralysis finally jumpstart their journey to conquer binge and emotional eating with tangible tools and rich inspiration. So this podcast today is just a catalyst. So if people want to go deep, Jesse, can you just talk for a moment a little bit about that and then we'll dive into some other questions? Yeah, absolutely. So I found that you know, the the challenge for so many in getting started with healing the relationship with food is knowing where to start. And so many people feel like they've tried so many different things, so many different diets, so many different approaches. And, you know, we don't have any shortage of information out there and it can be very, very overwhelming. And I'm more concerned with my client's transformation rather than information overwhelm because there's a big difference. And one of the things I found in the you know, eating disorder or disordered eating recovery community, the intuitive eating community, the food freedom community is that there is this, this narrative. It, it, it kind of is another extreme. I think, you know, in it becomes this extreme of you have to give up caring about what you look like. You have to give up caring about your fitness goals or your body based aesthetic goals in favor of healing your relationship with food. And that becomes this. I don't know. It's kind of like this underlying narrative that keeps so many people from pursuing healing because they have these body-based goals or they have these fitness goals and they feel like pursuing those are in opposition to having a yeah, healthy relationship confusing. with food. It's really confusing. And I, it's unfortunate that that's kind of the narrative because I really do believe you can feel good in your body. You can feel good in your own skin. You can have fitness goals and you can also have a healthy, normal, intuitive relationship with food. But it's all about doing things in the right order. It's about understanding how to support your mind, how to heal your mind, how to support your nervous system. And my 23-day program, I have an in-depth four-month comprehensive program that helps people fully heal their relationship with food and body and learn all these tools and techniques. But what I really wanted to do was break down the barrier of entry and allow people to understand high level what's required in order to do this and what maybe some of the missing puzzle pieces are. So Hungry for Recovery was this passion project of mine to help people jumpstart their journey without feeling afraid, to start getting some tangible tools, some techniques, and to really understand all the different puzzle pieces that might be missing. Maybe you have some of those puzzle pieces, but there's other ones like a lot of people miss 
that nervous system regulation is a really important part of healing. They understand mindset work, but they don't understand body-based nervous system regulation work. And so they're trying to heal and they're not figuring it out. And so Hungry for Recovery was this project that I pursued to help individuals feel confident that they understand how to heal and how to get jump-started in that journey and really begin to develop and feel momentum. So it's been amazing. We've had one launch already and the individuals who have gone through it have been so encouraged and so inspired that they finally feel like the veil of confusion in how to do all of this is lifted and they've really gotten a good start on their healing journey. I think it's very critical because as you say, the overwhelm information is 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 scary. But when you've got a foundation a like lot. this, it is. When you've got a foundation like like what you're offering, then you can still go and get those other books, but at least you've got a call for which to actually work and understand those processes. I'd love to just come back and touch on the fact that there is this whole shift of, you know, body positivity and, and it's, and it's really great, but it's almost like we've strung, swung from, you know, the Twiggy era, which is really aging me to even say that. I mean, I am 60 now. So the Twiggy era was sort of just before my time. And then the other side of the swing, which is sort of, you know, like anything goes and there's a healthy balance in the middle. And I think it, it is creating confusion. I like how you said people have got that aesthetic goal. They've got that, that physical uh, exercise goal, whatever it may be, physical fitness goal, but they almost feel guilty if they still want to pursue that. So, and that creates a whole lot of, and guilt will just mess up your body because mind, brain, body connection and all that stuff. So can you speak a little bit more about that? 100%. Yes. The the pendulum, it, we always, we exist in these extremes all the time and it's so exhausting. And my message to individuals who are struggling and who have aesthetic goals or who have fitness goals or who have weight loss goals is to understand those don't have to be mutually exclusive to having a healthy, normal relationship with food. But you do have to understand some of the dangers of diet culture, which is this system of beliefs that, you know, thinness is equivalent to health or thinness or the thin ideal is something we should pursue at all costs. And you have to understand that how toxic that culture is. But again, so you don't need to, it's so toxic. You don't have to feel guilt if you, you know, if you want to tone your arms or if you have certain weight loss, you don't need to feel guilt or shame. I fully align with body autonomy. Everybody should have the right to decide what they want to do with their body without guilt or shame. But my hope is that, hey, we can provide some information so you can make informed decisions around how you want to pursue your health and fitness goals coming from a more well-rounded place and not this obsession with the unrealistic thin ideal. So I think it's really, really important for, you know, the intuitive eating community and the food freedom community, the body confidence or body positive community to hold in a balance this as well. Because if, if our goal in this world is to help people find freedom from food, we're not doing a very good job if we're scaring them away, then they can't have their fitness goals or they can have their aesthetic goals. Instead, we're creating this, It's all, it becomes like this, this culture that's more like a cult and it's really unhealthy. And we need to understand that, you know, it's like, it's, it, it needs to look different. Can you give a practical, maybe some practical advice in that regard? So let's say that someone is reaching out to you for that kind of, a client did reach out to you and they, they torn now. They had a goal. They had an aesthetic goal. They had a physical fitness goal. Body body positivity's freed them up, but now there's this confusion. What would you advise? And what sort of techniques, top down, whatever, would you give people to someone like this? How would you help someone in that situation? Yeah. Who are you referring to? Somebody who might have both of these desires? 
Yes. So they, they, the body positivity. Yeah. So it's freed them. But then at the same time, there's now this contradiction because, oh, that's great. I don't have to look like that skinny person. That's toxic. But now I still would like to be a certain, whatever, aesthetic look as you, as you use that word. So that conflict. So how would you guide someone through that conflict? Right. I think it's really about understanding where your desire is coming from. So if we are desiring to change our body, if we're desiring to look different because of this deep-seated, deep-rooted insecurity, we have to understand that, you know, weight loss and changing our bodies is not going to be the cure-all for finding confidence and feeling better about ourselves because, you know, how many of how many of us have lost weight and we still didn't feel good enough and then we regained weight. We looked at pictures of ourselves thinner and we wish we looked like that. Why were we happy when we looked like that? And that's because it it really had so little to do with what we actually looked like, but more about how we feel about what we look like. And so what I always advise individuals to do who maybe have, you know, stepped into this world of body confidence and understood, okay, I don't have to look like this. I don't have to look like that. I'm, I feel a little bit more free in, you know, in terms of what's acceptable, but I still have these goals is to own, to, to have complete ownership over what it is that you want to pursue and to stop comparing yourself to others and to have a more well-rounded approach to to your goals. Understand if my goal is weight loss, let's kind of unpack that. What do you think weight loss is going to give you? Do you think it's going to give you confidence? Do you think it's going to give you an improved, you know, sex life? Do you think it's going to make you more desirable? Well, understand that if that's, if you're pursuing weight loss and hoping it's going to be a cure-all, it's actually not. So let's pursue these things that you, you think weight loss is going to give you from a multifaceted approach. Sure. Maybe getting more in shape and feeling better about yourself physically is going to be an aspect of that, but it just needs to be an aspect of that. There's so many other faucets to to feeling confident and to developing self-esteem and to feeling good and to feeling, you know, aligned within our own skin. And so what I always say is to understand that, you know, these desires that you have, they don't have to be mutually exclusive, but if you do not do the work to heal a dysfunctional relationship with food and your body first, your your mind is going to continue to take you down that mental hellhole of this all or nothing roller coaster. You'll continue to stay in this weight cycling. And so we have to understand the importance of baking our cake in the right order. So if you have a dysfunctional relationship with food and an unhealthy body image, weight loss, going on a weight loss diet isn't going to cure those things. In fact, it will actually exacerbate those things. So your first step is to heal your relationship with food and to also understand so much more about developing healthy body image and developing what's known as body image resilience, which is, you know, the ability to have more resilience to the external, the internal void, mean girl voices and the external pressures. We have to develop more of a body image resilience as well. And if we don't do those things first and we just go on a weight loss diet, we just go pursue those fitness goals, it's not going to ever satisfy or ever feel like enough. So it's all about learning to take steps in the right order. Okay, excellent. So now applying this in your life, you you don't have to tell all the details, but I mean, you've told us the basic story. So how did you change your relationship with food? What was the underlying cause? Because what you, what I'm hearing you say is there's a, which is makes sense is what I talk about on this podcast. Whatever we, whatever external behavior we show in this case, we're talking about body image, a bad relationship with food, diet, culture, et cetera, et cetera. Those are external behaviors that lead to a lot of anxiety and depression and frustration and change your perspective on your value system. And so all that gets totally screwed up. So you've got to find and deconstruct down to the core. 
root issue, which is what I'm hearing you saying. And until we've done that, so you've got to find out where did this start? How did it start? So could you explain what happened in your life and what the core, if you're, if you're comfortable sharing what the. Absolutely. You know, what I, what I really wish somebody would have told me when I was feeling stuck is I wish somebody would have come into my life and said, Hey, no amount of mindset work is going to override a dysregulated nervous system. I did things like Overeaters Anonymous. I attended meetings when I was in college. I did years of therapy. I read probably every book on the subject of binge eating, emotional eating, body image. I mean, I was consuming and consuming information and I still had this compulsion, this impulsive feeling inside of my body to do these things with food that really had nothing to do with physical hunger and everything to do with wanting to numb out. And what I was trying to numb out was I existed for so many years in survival mode. I grew up in a challenging situation around addiction and I felt like I had no sense of control. And so food became the thing that I started to try and control. My body image, my weight became, I started to try and control. And ironically, when we try and control food, it ends up controlling us. And I just wish somebody would have said that, hey, this sense of a loss of control that you have over your body and all this mindset work that you're trying to do, yes, it's a part of the the puzzle, but it's not the whole puzzle. We have to get we have to get down to and understand that, you know, our nervous system plays a really big role in our behaviors. And we not only need to support our mind, we also need to support our body. We need to support our nervous system. And so through a lot of going down so many different rabbit holes, I was able to collect all of these different puzzle pieces over the years and finally put them together for the full picture of, you know, peace with food and ease in my body image to be a reality for me. And some of those puzzle pieces, like I said, was understanding nervous system regulation, of course, understanding intuitive eating and the 10 principles of intuitive eating, how to reconnect with my body's inner cues to guide my eating instead of you know, all these diets and these rules and these restrictions. It was understanding many of the things that you teach, you know, mental rewiring and reprogramming and understanding how to develop different emotional coping skills. So food wasn't my only outlet, the thing I turned to to numb out uncomfortable feelings that I didn't know how to sit with or how to process. And so it was this, this journey of collecting all these different puzzle pieces. And I'll never, you know, demonize or put down one approach to healing over another, because I think throughout my journey, I collected a lot of different things that came together to result in me finding freedom. But for me, what really happened was it started when I was young, feeling no control in my home. And so I turned to something I could control. And then as I grew up and I was, you know, exposed to societal pressures, I didn't feel good enough in my own skin. And so that turned into wanting to lose weight to feel better, to feel more confident. And as I tried to control food more, everything just spiraled more and more out of control. And for those listening who might be tired, I think this will come as really good news. It's not always about trying harder. It's sometimes about trying smarter, trying softer. Like our minds are overwhelmed. And sometimes we just need to get connected to our bodies and do some body-based healing work. And to combine that with mindset work. And for me, that's when everything really started to click was when I realized, okay, it's not just trying harder on the mindset work, doing more, consuming more content, but it's about understanding that this is a holistic journey and I need to pursue it a variety of different angles. I like that. So what I'm hearing you say is that there's this chasm between what you know is where you'll find, you'll find your sense of peace that you know that you, this is not realistic. This, you, this, this realization has come from this addictive 
childhood that you grew up in that made you feel out of control. You know all that, but there's this chasm between knowing that and then there's this knowledge that you've gained on the other side of the chasm of all this knowledge of, so it's actually, it's it, it, so there's this goal of where you know you want to be, but then there's this side, there's all this knowledge, but they had to connect. So you had to do the work to connect and that work, and that's all mind work and the mind works with the body because the mind and the brain and the body work together so that your body was giving you signals and so you managed to close that chasm. And that's how I understand that you're helping your clients as well and through this course is to we know that we shouldn't be doing, we, we know this, we, the, the things we, we know that a diet culture and, but still there's these images and there's these, this knowledge of, of how we, what we've gone through or, or what we want to be. But then we've got to make that connection by going and looking what the void is and filling the void by going to find the cause, the root cause, deconstruct, reconstruct, reframe, reconceptualize. And then that builds that bridge between the two. That's, that's how, what I'm hearing. Have I understood you correctly? Is that? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think what's so frustrating for so many people is like you said, they, we know what to do. Why aren't we doing it? I should know better. Why can't I get myself to do better? And I think that's a special kind of mental torture is to know what you should be doing. And I mean, there's there the saying that ignorance is bliss. I mean, <laughs> it is kind of true. You know, ignorance can be blissful when you, you don't know what to do. So you don't do it. But when you know what to do, and you can't seem to get yourself to do it, that's when it becomes so deflating to your sense of self-confidence and your sense of self-belief, your belief in your ability to heal. I always, I, I like to share this because I think it's really encouraging to understand why we get caught in these self-sabotaging cycles with food or with any other area of our life is that if you, you know, if your nervous system is dysregulated and you are constantly in a state of fight, flight, or freeze, and you know you're operating in that state and you're trying to do all this mindset work on top of that and you, you you're not in a more grounded state it's the dots aren't connecting and so we need to combine the mindset work with nervous system regulation work our body needs some attention our body needs some rest and so many of us are dealing with chronic stress anxiety depression we have you know we have all these different challenges that we're trying to navigate and then we're just trying to do more 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 and we're piling more on top and we're stretched thin we're overworked and you know the body and the nervous system and the mind are just shot and so if we can clear a little bit of space in our lives, and I like to, I always suggest this activity to my, to my clients to, to create a not to do list. If we can just create a little bit more space in our lives to pay attention to what's going on in our mind, to be more self-reflective, to do some of the mindset work that you teach, to do some nervous system regulation work, the, we're going to be able, we can slow down so that we can speed up. And it's, it's really beautiful to realize you know, we don't always have to try harder, which is kind of like putting your finger in one of those finger traps. You're trying harder, you're trying harder, you're pulling apart, but you're getting more and more stuck. Like, what if we come together? What if we slow down a little bit? We create spaciousness in our life to actually work on healing, to actually be introspective, to actually do some of this mindset work and some of this body-based work so that these puzzle pieces can start clicking together. And it can be very, very transformative when you notice your internal, I like to think of our internal state as like an internal thermostat. When you notice yourself going from being hyper aroused and constantly triggered and in a state of fight or flight and you're easily agitated and you're short tempered. And, you know, when you, when you can get yourself to come down a couple of degrees 
and you can take some deep breaths and you can get reconnected to your body. That's where the magic happens. Or some people exist more in a hypo aroused state and they're dissociating. They're wanting to numb out. They're, you know, doom scrolling. And, you know, in that case, we need to upregulate ourselves and we need to interject a little bit more energy and a little bit more, yeah, just energy into ourselves so that we can see clear and we can get connected with ourselves and others. When we begin to do that and exist more in what's known as our window of tolerance, we can then start to make decisions that are aligned with our goals, but it takes spaciousness. It's not necessarily, again, about doing more. It's about doing the right things and clearing out some of, some of the, the excess that, and the clutter that our lives have become consumed with. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing you say is with that, coming back to the chasm example again here, correct me if I'm, um, so we've got this, what we know is, what we know is what we want to, the realism of, of what's wrong in thinking, getting stuck in this diet culture. Then there's this knowledge of how to do it. And we've got to be able to also recognize the signals and the symptoms that are coming from, or the signals, I hate to use the word symptoms, the signals that are coming from our body, which is coming from our, and our brain and our mind. So all three places, the dysregulation you're talking about, just for my audience so that they know, they can put that in, 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 into, that's one of the body signals in the four signals I always talk about. And then you've got to listen to your messy mind, which is what you're talking about. You've got to listen to your, how's it shifting perspective? How's it shifting your, what are your behaviors? What are you doing? So it's basically what you're saying is becoming very aware of your self-evaluative. If I'm hearing you, you've got to really look at that, stand back and observe. But the key to closing the chasm is then, it, uh, it's, a, it's a series of exercises that you that you're helping people do. Like I love your not to do list, creating that space. What does that look like? Can you give an actual example of, like, what would you include in a not to do list in your own life? What would you include in creating space? Because we're getting a lot of this kind of advice, and it's good advice. But how? Yes, how? How do we? Though, because those are the things that build that bridge between, you know, in the chasm. Yeah, it's. I think what's really, really important is that we begin to recognize our limited capacity, which can be very frustrating and very scary because we want to be able to think that we can do it all. And in continuing to embrace this idea or this thought that we can do it all, maybe not all today, but we can keep 500 things on our to-do list and we'll eventually get to them, which do you? Like how... how no, none of us do. And what, what we have to do is we have to recognize we cannot do it all. And that's okay. It's actually very relieving. And we have to become experts and, and dedicated to the practice of prioritizing and, and choosing and intentionally letting go of things that aren't as important. And we have to look at what actually matters in my life. Is it that my house is spick and span all the time? Or do the baseboards not really need to be dusted today? And instead I can go outside and I can ground myself and I can go barefoot in my backyard and I can connect with nature and I can regulate myself for 10 minutes instead of cleaning off the counter. We feel like we have to do certain things that we actually don't have to do. And in turn, we don't have any space in our life to do the things that we actually need to do to be sane, to be mentally healthy, to be successful at pursuing what our goals actually are. And so it's this challenge of prioritizing and getting really good at prioritizing. And I think a really good way to do that is to look at your life and go, what do I want my life to mean? What do I want my life to be about? What's most important in my life? And creating a priorities list 
And then looking at maybe your top three to five priorities of what you want out of your life. And then look at all of the other ones that you listed and recognize that although those might be good, they're actually distractors to what your core priorities in life should be. And so the more you learn to say no, the better you get at saying no to things in your life that don't feel like a full body hell yes, the more space you have to say yes to the things that actually matter, that are actually going to move the needle forward on what's most important in your life. And a really some just tangible, easy, easy things you can do to start getting more grounded and thinking more clearly to connect with your breath. There's so many different nervous system regulation tools, techniques, and protocols, but I think the breath is such an easy one. Yeah, it's a good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can take it, you can use it at any point in time, and it's immediately effective. But getting connected to your breath, whether that's doing a simple box breath, which is a four count inhale, hold at the top for four counts, exhale for four, hold at the bottom for four, repeating that five to 10 times, or doing, you know, like the physiological sigh where you take a deep breath in through your nose and then you sigh it out, do that for maybe five breaths, doing a simple breath work exercise like that in moments where you feel activated or you feel overwhelmed or you're feeling, you know, like life is too much or you notice that you're disassociating and using something like a stimulating circle breath, which is a forceful inhale through the nose and a pressed exhale through the mouth in a like a circular continuous motion that can help give you energy. If you can have the wherewithal to start noticing when you're feeling overactivated or underactivated and utilizing your breath, what you're going to effectively do in the moment is release some of that stress, some of that anxiety, some of that overwhelm, and be able to connect with clear thinking. And when we can think clear, we can make better decisions. We can make decisions that, again, align with our goals, but we have to be willing to make the space to do that. And so when I'm feeling flustered, when I'm feeling worked up, when I'm feeling stretched thin, I'm like, okay, instead of feeling like I've got to figure it all out and then I'll feel a release, I go, let me just pause for, you know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, and let me do a little bit of breath work. And then if I can get outside, I love getting outside and getting the sun in my eyes, going barefoot in my backyard, feeling the grass on my feet. And if I can do that, I'm able to begin begin thinking far more clearly than if I just continue to take action, take action, take action without thinking through things. And I think so many of us are living our life on autopilot directed by other people's narratives, what other people have going on. And we never stop to reflect and tune inward to figure out what is it that we actually want to spend our time on and how is that impacting the quality of our life. As someone who prioritizes my mental health and physical well-being, I'm always looking for products that help me look and feel my best each day, which can be a challenge. This is why I love Purity Woods. Their mission is to provide people with the cleanest and most effective health, aging, and longevity products available. All of their products are USDA certified organic, non-GMO, free of anything artificial, free of toxic preservatives and synthetic additives like pesticides, chemical fertilizers, and dyes, parabens, and of course, it's cruelty-free and never tested on animals. Purity Woods products leverage the wonders of a revolutionary ingredient, maple leaf extract. Maple leaves contain anti-inflammatory antioxidants and hydrating properties, which can help soothe irritated or inflamed skin while also plumping, brightening and nourishing it. The age-defying dream cream is a game changer. It will make you look and feel like you've jumped back years in time. Its powerful formula contains revolutionary maple leaf extracts, plus over 25 unique and potent ingredients that help eliminate fine lines, wrinkles, age spots and uneven skin tone. 
Turn back time on the appearance of your skin with Purity Woods Age-Defying Dream Cream. Purity Woods is currently offering 17% off site-wide, but we have an additional 10% discount for our listeners for a total savings of 27%. Go to puritywoods.com forward slash Dr. Leaf or enter the code Dr. Leaf at checkout for an additional 10% off your first order. It's P-U-R-I-T-Y-W-O-O-D-S dot com and enter the code Dr. Leaf for a total of 27% off your order. The link and details will be in the show notes. Did you find that doing that body regulation and the breathing was how you then discovered that your root cause behind your body, the sort of body image, did that help you clear your neurophysiology enough that you could get the chemicals and because that's what's happening in your brain and everything, neurochemistry under control, that you could actually face the pain of, okay, I am using food because I feel out of control. So my core issue is feeling out of control. And then you had to do, so once you'd got the neurophysiology, did you, you connected with that. Then once you connected with that, from what I'm hearing you saying, then there was a time, obviously it took you time to say, okay, well, that control has been, my coping mechanism has been food. I'm speaking as I'm you. Just tell me if I'm wrong. And so therefore you, so from the, the neurophysiology calming to the recognition, to be able to do the work, to find the core, the source, you then had to rebuild and reconceptualize. What did that look like in your life? I'm asking you hard questions, but I know these are the, these are the questions that, that people want to know. What do I do? Okay. So I'm going to breathe. I'm going to find my root cause. It's really hard to face it. But, and I know that I'm doing this from not, from being in a very addicted environment. So I want control. I know I can breathe. I know that that can have all that knowledge. How, what do I do next? What is the, what happens? And I know they'll get more from your course, but just. No, no, no. I want to demystify all of this. I want you to walk away from our conversation. Those of you listening, feeling very empowered, like you understand how this all fits together because I hate how confusing it can be and how overwhelming all of this can be. And so, you know, connecting to your body is going to help you think clear. It's going to help you understand what's going on. It's going to help you have the courage to be able to face some of the things that you've been ignoring or trying to numb out. So absolutely connecting to your body, feeling a little bit more grounded is going to clear up so much mental space for you to process in an entirely different way. Now, how does this all fit together? How do we actually do this? How do we go from point A to point Z? So it is multidimensional. There are a number of tools and techniques and different things to learn, but What I will say is you need to combine education, you need to combine mindset work, you need to combine nervous system regulation work, and you need to combine support. And that can come from a variety of different angles. We need support and accountability in our journey, and we need to be able to come out of hiding, out of isolation, out of the shame, and out of the guilt. And there's a lot of processing that happens. And what I want to be What I want to be very clear about healing a dysfunctional relationship with food in your body is you do not have to heal every past trauma, every other thing you that's happened in your life, because I think that can be this very discouraging narrative of maybe some traditional forms of therapy is like, we've got to get everything figured out before we can find freedom moving forward. And I don't necessarily fully align with that. I believe that we can find a lot of freedom without having to unpack every trauma, every situation in our life. But we do have to be reflective and we do have to look at some of the things that are our roadblocks and that are keeping ourselves stuck. And so you need to understand you know, how to do some of the deeper work and how to go to those places that seem scary and face the things that you're, that are your roadblocks and to reframe 
the meaning and the power that those have in your life and to file them in their appropriate places mentally so that those no longer are impacting your behaviors. We can have things happen that trigger us into certain behavior patterns. But when we go back and we look at, okay, for me, it was, yes, I need to connect with my breath so I can think clearly and I can have more of the courage to look at the things that are blocks in my life. Well, when I look at those things, I need to also be able to go, you know, yes, those things were challenging. And yes, those things were impacting my behaviors, but they no longer have to be the reason I, the way that I act. I can file those in those appropriate places mentally and I can begin to reframe mentally and behave, you know, have a different set of behaviors. It kind of just becomes this upward spiral. And so again, to demystify this process, we need to understand body-based techniques, nervous system regulation techniques. And when you hear that word, just simply think of connecting with our body. We just need to learn how to connect with the body physically. When you think of mindset work, think of, you know, doing some introspective work and being able to, you know, mentally reframe, to process. We need to understand also emotional regulation. If you've never learned how to feel your emotion and how to face some emotion, challenging emotions, that can be really overwhelming. And so that's another key is like, how do I now look at some of the things that have happened, some of those root cause things and just process them emotionally and be able to have the skills and the and the tools and the techniques to sit in some of that discomfort. And what's so crazy is that emotions that are triggered in our body, you know, that 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 sensation that they trigger, it, it only lasts about 90 seconds before it it dissolves in the body. And unless our mind keeps repeating this narrative that keeps triggering this emotional response that's informing our behaviors. And so again, we have to combine all these different components so that we can, you know, move that needle forward and we can create an upward spiral. But it's really about mindset work, emotion work, nervous system or body-based work. And when you combine those three things, you're off to the races and things are moving forward. And it's not rocket science. It's just a series of tools and techniques. And I know you have such a beautiful framework for helping people work through, you know, their minds and manage their minds, which is so beautiful. But none of it is rocket science. It's just a series of practices that when done consistently, you'll notice your behaviors begin to change. You're able to sit in uncomfortable emotions. And when your behaviors change and your mind's changing, your life's changing. And that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If I think of my own life experience, I always remember it, you, people that going back to your causes, you can have someone that says something to you. And this happened with a lot of my patients as well, but with, with similar stories. But someone, I had a friend who was this six foot tall squash player and the whole family was all these six foot tall skinny blondes. And I was, I'm five foot one and a half and I sort of don't, didn't look like that, can, didn't come from that sort of body. But that, and I remember them laughing at me and mocking me and they didn't, they didn't mean it in a nasty way, but I had such a different body shape and size and height and that kind of thing. But it stuck with me because I knew them from very, very young. And when I did the work with changing, because I had, as a young teenager, when I first went into university at 18, I had, I, I got anorexia. I mean, I, I had a really bad problem with, with eating, same sort of, you know, issues at body image. And I mean, I starved myself and also got, you know, literally emaciated and everything. And it was, I couldn't look at an apple and think how many calories and just that chain being locked into that. And when I did the work of finding out the core, but then it was years and it's still years years and you get free and whatever but it's it lives i think the point that i wanted to make there it does live with you forever you can't change what's happened to you but you can change what it looks like inside of you and, and that's you know that's what we're both saying now to is is that we have to we have to accept that that's yes that's the cause it's not that person's fault that they said that to you unintentionally it impacted you like that but that is the impact and that is the consequence and that's 
And it takes time to, and you've got to give yourself the grace, as you say, to be able to change that. That's going to take, it could, I'm 60. And every now and then that'll pop back in my head. I'll sort of get a glimpse of myself in a mirror. And I mean, I'm, I'm thin. I'm don't have any, I'm at it. I don't, doesn't, it doesn't hold me like it used to. It was, it was a vice, but it can still pop back. You can still get a, so it's a year, it's a, it's an ongoing journey to get set free because of our culture we live in and what people have said to you and yeah, all those kinds of things. So it's, it's, it's an ongoing journey. It's changing your relationship to the, your experiences and you can change your relationship to your experiences so they no longer impact you moving forward. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the most powerful is when you changing your relationship when you're able to, to file those in there. Mm. Yeah. When you're able to file those experiences in their appropriate place mentally, they don't impact you as much moving forward. And sure, can we still be triggered into having bad body image day? A hundred percent. I still have days where I'm like, you know, I look at myself now two weeks postpartum and I'm like, wow, I've never seen my body look like that. Like I said, it's never been so squishy. Things don't sit the way they used to sit. And and still, you know, I can go, yeah, but it's okay. And I no longer respond to that thought the way I used to respond to it. And thus, I no longer live in this neurotic relationship with food in my body. I look at it and I go, yeah, okay, don't love it, but it also doesn't define me. And instead, we're going to do things that make me feel good today because beating myself up, sitting here and picking myself apart in the mirror and, you know, comparing myself, what, what does that lead to? It leads to nothing but dysfunction in my relationship with food. And I know what that leads to and the, and the hell that that creates in my life. And I'm just not going there anymore. But that took, like you said, lots and lots of practice. Practice. To change, yeah, to change your experience, you've got to find that cause and then practice building that in as a, what a great place to, to end this podcast because this is just great information and, how can people get hold of you, find out about the course, learn more about your work? Yeah, well, I really appreciate the conversation. And I hope those of you listening who are feeling discouraged in your, maybe in your relationship with food, in your relationship with your body, my message is that there is freedom for you. And again, like it's not rocket science. It's just a series of techniques and tools and you know, activities to practice on a day-to-day basis. And as you continue to practice those when you're supported in a community who's moving in that direction. And the beautiful thing is there is a massive, a massive amount of people across the world who are pursuing healing their relationship with food. You might look around and feel like everybody in your life kind of has a, yeah, it is a movement. And you might feel like so many people in your life have a dysfunctional relationship with food and their body. But I want you to know there are people all across the world that are working on healing and finding freedom. So there's a lot of resources and tools and techniques and places you go to find help. But if you're interested in what I do, I hang out on my podcast. You're obviously a podcast listener listening to Caroline's podcast, but I'm over at the Dear Body Podcast on all podcast platforms. And then my socials, TikTok and Instagram are at Jesse J-E-S-S-I-J-E-A-N-N-N. And then if you're interested in being a part of my 23-day food freedom jumpstart where you can get stuck to unstoppable, confident that you have the tools and techniques to continue forward in your healing journey, you can check out Hungry for Recovery at hungryforrecovery.jessie, J-E-S-S-I, Jean, J-E-A-N.com. But as always, you guys, I just want you to know that you don't have to continue to exist in this mental hellhole. I, the first time I heard about food freedom, intuitive eating, I thought it was laughable. I thought there's no way I could trust my body. This sounds absolutely asinine, but it is just a a matter of practicing the right tools, the right techniques and changing how your mind functions and the way it perceives 
food and and your body image. So know that freedom is for you regardless of how many times you feel like you've tried. There is a way out. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And we'll put all those links and details in the show notes. And I know a lot of people are going to have really benefited from this today. Thank you, Jesse. I always love chatting to you. Congrats again on your baby. And now you'll be able to use the book that you interviewed. I am so excited about using your book. Oh my gosh. The the practices and the activities are going to be fantastic as he grows. So thank you for your work as well. My pleasure. Thank you. And thanks for joining me. And I look forward to our next conversation. Likewise. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline E. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.